This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We're getting to the time of year where it's time to start thinking about your goals. And we know one of the categories that causes the most stress for an individual or a couple is money. Feeling like you should be making more. Feeling like there's not enough at the end of the month. We want to have a conversation today that will hopefully change the way you view your money. And what you're going to find out pretty quickly is it actually has very little to do with the amount and more about the relationship that you have with it. The person you are going to meet today is a New York Times best-selling author of a very popular book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And rich does not mean a monetary number. It means about the quality of life that you can have when you are purposeful with the money that you have. We're going to dive specifically into what his journey looked like, why he decided to dedicate his career to helping other people with money, and how it ultimately led to focusing on helping couples not only get on the same page when it comes to money, but remaining on the same page. As you listen to this, our hope is that you become aware of when he's speaking, what excites you, and what statements he makes that might make you feel even a little bit scarce when it comes to money because this will help you explore your mindset, which you are going to realize the importance of in this episode. If you would like to figure out how to take what you hear in this episode and put it into action, he is going to be joining us for the One Thing Goal Setting Retreat for couples and individuals where he is going to walk through a very specific process to get on the same page with a significant other, as well as stay on the same page. He's going to walk you through the agenda he has for the monthly finance meeting he has with his wife and how they have been very purposeful about forming relationships with people who actually have a positive relationship with money. If you'd like to learn more about the retreat, you can go to the onething.com slash set my goals. That's with the number one in the URL. With that, let's get into this episode with New York Times best-selling author and host of the podcast, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, Ramit Sethi. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Ramit, good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Ramit, let's go back in time. What was happening in your life that made you realize that you needed to devote your career to teaching people how to become smarter with their money? Well, like any high school kid, 
I took some of my college scholarship money and invested it in the stock market, <laughs> thinking <laughs> that I was a genius. And everyone was a genius in 1999, 2000. You know, every day the market's going up 26%. You think, oh, I, I know how to do this. And um, what I quickly learned was when I lost half of that scholarship money, that I wasn't actually as smart as I thought. Mm-hmm. And that investing is in many ways more complicated than people think, but in a lot of ways, it's way, way simpler. And so I, I went to college. I was studying technology and psychology at Stanford, really understanding human behavior. And it was like reading that children's book, The Emperor Has No Clothes. You know, I was learning about investing and I'm looking around at my friends and all this advice that everybody gives you about investing. You know, keep a budget. Nobody wants to keep a budget. Don't spend money on lattes. Why? What are you telling me? That I have to sit in a cave for the next 80 years, cut back on $3 a day, and then maybe, just maybe, I can live a rich life? No, thank you. And frankly, the people who were giving that advice didn't look like me. They didn't sound like me. They're sitting there talking about estate planning to a 20-year-old. I said, no thanks. So I started developing my own systems for personal finance, partially just because I needed to get smarter about money, partially because I started to understand human psychology. And as I started to build it for myself, then try to help my friends in the dining halls at Stanford, I really started to test and make this system more rigorous. And that was really the beginning of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Mm. What is the high level, level premise of I Will Teach You To Be Rich? First, your rich life is yours. It's not mine. It's not your parents. It's not your friends. It's yours. So when I ask people, what is your rich life? They typically have very simplistic answers. The most common is, I want to do what I want, when I want. I said, great. What do you want? And then they stare at me and just blink. Uh Because most people have never thought beyond that trite phrase. What I really want to hear them say is, I want to travel. Okay, where do you want to travel? I don't know, maybe Bali. Okay, great. Which seat do you want to sit on on the airplane? What hotel? Who are you taking with you? I want that texture of their rich life. So that's the first answer people give me. The second is I want a million bucks, which is, doesn't really make sense because isn't a million different if you live in Manhattan versus Oklahoma? It's mm-hmm. different. If you're 25 versus 65, it's different. And the third and most haunting answer people give me for their rich life is I just want to get out of debt. And I can understand what it feels like to be overwhelmed with debt, but it's not a very motivating idea if the answer is simply to get to zero. So first and foremost, I Will Teach You Bridge believes your rich life is yours and we want to get really specific and unapologetic. Second is there's a limit to how much you can cut, but no limit to how much you can earn. So unlike a lot of personal finance uh, folks, you know, we do talk about cutting you know, for the things you don't care about, but I believe in spending extravagantly on the things you do. Those are some of the core fundamentals from the last 20 years of I Will Teach. I was actually just talking to my partner, Jay, about this. <clears throat> we were having a conversation about Amy's and my personal finances and, and our budget. And he was saying how for, for Gary, as he was scaling Keller Williams, he had to figure out what are those key areas that bring a huge amount of value to me that I can just spend whatever I want on because it's just going to bring me that happiness. And one of the categories, socks. Love it. Love Just it. Kick-ass socks. So, so let's <laughs> talk about this. I love that. When I was in my early 20s, if you'd asked me, what's your rich life? My rich life would have been to be able to order appetizers. Why? Because when I was a kid, we 
ate out maybe once every four or six weeks and we never ordered appetizers. It was too expensive. So to be able to go to a restaurant and just say, yeah, I'll have that. In fact, I'll have that other appetizer as well. What did it cost me? 20 bucks? But Mm -hmm. it made me truly live that rich life. Okay, so that was early on. Then... As I grew up a little bit, you know, being able to get on a uh, get in a taxi in a hot August New York summer day instead of going to the fiery depths of the subway and sweating, that was nice. Again, what does that cost me? Twenty bucks. Of course, now my rich life has gotten bigger, and so to be able to travel and bring family and things like that. But often, what I love hearing is something like Gary's example of socks because it is so specific and personal, mm-hmm. and it could be, you know, I want every picture in my house to be framed. Great. What does that cost? 200 bucks, 500 bucks, but it might have a specific meaning to you. So that's one of the things that I really dive into with my readers is crafting and designing that rich life. Well, the thing, this is where it gets really aligned to the idea of the one thing, which is it's really tough to be productive if you don't have a sense of priority and you can't know what matters if you don't have a sense of purpose why you're doing what you're doing. And you're just starting here by saying, no, seek some clarity. What is it that you actually want? And how would you know if you're successful? Yeah. It's just dialed in. Yeah. I, I want to hit this really quick. What does it mean to live a rich life? Again, that's different for different people. So for me, a rich life, I actually encapsulated this into what I call Ramit's 10 money rules. And I had I created these rules because... All of us do this in different parts of life, right? If you know, we might say, well, when you're in college, you go, I'm not going to blend alcohol. That's going to be a bad result for me. That's kind of a rule that college kids love to create. Then as you get older, you know, you might say, hey, uh, I'm going to skip the dessert or whatever the case may be. With money, we have a million different decisions to make over the course of a year. And many of us arbitrarily make them. You can see this when you talk to very wealthy people and you ask them, how do you plan your vacation? And their answer is extremely unsatisfying to me. They go, well, you know, I kind of look around and then I pick a place and I go, how do you choose how much you're going to spend? Well, you know, it, it can't be too unreasonable, but it should be nice. Maybe we'll stay at this hotel. It's a lack of intention and clarity around it. So what I did was I created 10 money rules. Some of them, you can find these on Google. Some of them are things like uh, save and invest minimum 10, 20%, et cetera. Fine. But some of them are more meaningful to me and they're very permissive. They're things like, if I'm flying over four hours, business class. Uh, Never, ever restrict myself on any spending in the areas of health uh, and friends' charities. So friends are doing a 5K or whatever, I'm going to always donate. A rich life to me is to be able to do those things, to be able to work with people who I like and respect, and to be able to have a rich work life, but also a rich life outside of work. Mm-hmm. That's meaningful to me. Of course, that would have been different when I was in the early part of my career, and it will be different when I'm in the later part of my career. The thing that I respect is a lot of people, when they think about being rich or being wealthy, it's a number. And with you, it's not a number. It's, it's, it's not a number. It's, it's a purpose. It's yeah. what is money doing for you and how are you being purposeful with it? Correct. Thank you for for recognizing that. The number thing, everyone, especially high achievers, they start off by picking a number. And it's fun. You kind of write it down. You apply the 4% rule to it. You say, ooh, if I had this much, I'd never have to work again. Financial independence. I get it. Everyone has to go through that journey if you're a high achiever. But what happens 
as I've talked to literally tens of thousands of people, is first of all, many people achieve their number much earlier than they thought. And to their horror, they realize that they never really built the muscle of knowing how to spend, right? Everybody talks about how to save money, but almost nobody talks about how to spend it. Hmm. So suddenly you wake up, you have X thousand or million dollars, and you have no idea how to spend it in a meaningful way. I know many people like this. They're multimillionaires. They have anxiety around something as small as ordering sparkling water at a restaurant or something as large as you know buying the dream car that they've always wanted. Each of those is a rounding error to them. But their money grew faster than their psychology. And that's a very, very crippling place to be in where you have lots of money. You will never run out, but you don't feel that you do. That hits home. Even, even I've gone through multiple cycles of this, but even last week, my wife and I were having conversations where we realized, wow, we, once we moved to Denver, shocker, you start spending a lot on a new house. And we've looked up over six months and realized we have been spending unconsciously, mm. not purposefully. And my wife and I are finally aligned on what are the things that actually matter to us? What do we want to say yes to? And realizing we've actually been saying no to it because we've been blindly saying yes to who knows what. So what are the things that are important to you? Uh, right now, getting rid of the carpet and replacing mm-hmm. with hardwood floors because I just got two epically cute puppies. And they, <laughs> lo- and they love that carpet too much. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. Yeah. Do you know what I love about that is no matter how rigorous you are about your rich life, everybody gets out of alignment. Everybody. I do. You do. We all do. And what I love is you kind of step back and said, okay, let's, let's take this. We're not going to beat ourselves up. We're not going to feel guilty about it. Let's just take a look like a scientist would with a yeah. microscope and let's just analyze it. Okay. We're out of alignment here. No big deal. Here's, let's try to root cause it and let's back it out. Where do we want to spend our money? As I say, spend extravagantly on the things you love as long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. And when I say extravagantly, this is a very interesting uh, exercise that I do with people. I, I ask people, what is your money dial? And I, a money dial is that thing you love spending money on. Okay, Everyone's got one and they come up with it instantly. So the most common money dial or area people love spending on, can you guess what it is, Jeff? Food. Correct. It's eating out. Food. So that's number one by far. Number two is uh, travel. Then you have health and wellness. And then there's a steep cliff. And you know, I, I'm a weird guy. I love convenience. That's my money dial, etc. So I say, great. Food. You love eating out. Awesome. What if you could quadruple your spend on eating out? And everyone gives me the same kind of funny dad joke. They go, ha ha ha, I'd have to get a looser belt because I'd be eating out four times a week. (laughs) And I laugh along with them. And then I probe a little bit. So I remember I was on book tour. I was in DC. And there was a young guy, his 30s. And he said that same joke. I said, okay, but what if you didn't just go out four times a week? That's quantity. What if you really thought about quality? And he said, what do you mean? I said, Where would you go if you could 2x, 4x, 10x your spending on food? You're a foodie. You love it. Where would you go? And he goes, he got quiet. He goes, I would go, I have a list of 
every Michelin-starred restaurant in the city. And I would go to each restaurant one by one. And I said, who would you take with you? And the entire audience is completely quiet and listening. He goes, I would take my family. I said, why? He said, because my family could never afford to go to places like that. That is a rich life. Mm -hmm. That is thinking not linearly. Like if I want to spend more, I'll just get more quantity. But it's weaving in quality. It's weaving in relationships. And it's making it totally intentional. That is truly a rich life. I love that. At what point on your journey, because you've been doing this for a while, did you realize that you needed to start focusing not just on, I will teach you to be rich, but you meaning you and your significant other? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so my wife and I, we were dating for a while, several years. And she had... I actually knew all about her financial situation because she'd asked me some 401k question. I said, Hey, read this book. It's called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. <laughs> and, um, and so I knew all about her finances. And as we were getting more and more serious, she brought up money between us. She said, "You know, I don't really feel... Like this is fair because you know all about my finances, but I don't know anything about yours. And that was a huge mistake that I made. I totally regret that I was not proactive about it. To tell you the truth, I had never really talked about my entire financial situation except to a couple of advisors. So I said, you know what? You're right. And we had this conversation. And it was, it was an amazing conversation because we started to talk about the possibilities. Right? What will money allow us to do? Where do we want to live? What kind of family do we want to raise? So that was really positive. Then it became challenging. Uh, we started discussing prenup. And in theory, it sounds great. When you get into the details, it, it's challenging. And we had a very challenging time. In fact, at one point, um, we went to see a therapist. And that was very revealing. I have to say, the therapist asked us several questions. One of them was, uh, when you think about money, what word comes to mind? So I went first. My answer, I said it like it was so obvious. Like, what color is the sky? Blue. She said, what do you think of when you think of money? I said, growth. Of course. You know, in my head, I can see the compound interest chart. I know all the details. Oh, it's so logical. And then she turns to my wife, uh, now wife, and says, what about you? And my wife said, safety. And to me, that's like saying metal or steel. Like, I don't understand what that word safety relates to when it comes to money. I did not understand it. And so we started talking on a deeper level. And after we realized that we came to the table, not only with different amounts of money, but different philosophies and different emotions around money. That started to unlock some conversations for us. And you know, over the last few years that we've been married, we now have built this system where we talk about it regularly and all these things that I can share with you. But wow, that was probably the most one of the most challenging parts of our early relationship. Let's fast forward. You have just launched a brand new podcast called I Will Teach You to Be Rich, where you are focusing on telling the stories of couples who got on the same page with money. What inspired you to do this? You know, my dream was to be able to ask other couples the kind of questions 
that I got asked and to be able to listen to him. Because if you think about it, you know, we've all watched reality TV. We've all seen inside these big, beautiful homes in New York and LA on those real estate shows, but we've never actually gotten the chance to go inside behind closed doors with real couples and listen to them talk about money. And so, you know, I, I can very, very distinctly remember these conversations that I have with these couples. And there's one couple in an episode on the I Will Teach You Rich podcast. Uh, she had a substantial amount of debt, student loans, and she'd paid off over $50,000, but still had uh, about 18 months remaining. He uh, was more open with spending. So, for example, for their anniversary, he proposed, let's go to Japan. And her first response was, well, we can't do that because I have debt. And so this debt became this ghost sitting between the two of them. And no matter what they wanted to do, the debt came first. They even named the debt. They called her Franny. Franny was always in the room, you know, always causing trouble, always just haunting them. And as I unpacked their relationship, it was very interesting because she, her parents had grown up. Her mom had debt. Her grandma had debt. So it was almost passed down and she felt like she was fulfilling this sort of prophecy. And she was highly diligent about her debt. But as we got to the end, I asked her, do you think, what do you think is going to happen on month 19? Your debt's paid off in 18 months. What happens on month 19? She goes, well, I I hope I'm going to feel better. And I said, you're not. You're not going to feel better because right now money is totally associated with negativity for you. And all you are working on is the math, but you're not working on your psychology towards money. And so there's a very counterintuitive solution that they came to at the end of the episode, which you know you can listen to on the podcast. But these are the kind of things that people think about every single day, whether it's debt or they have $8 million in the bank, it can be truly haunting for them. I want to dive into this psychology of money because... This is something I, every year when I look at the books that I'm going to read, I am clear on the 20% categories. I'm going to invest my time in growing my education. Money is one of them. The last year, my biggest aha was it's not about the number. It's about my relationship to it. Mm. And realizing where I am, where I formed the habit of being skeptical or scarce with it and where I've been abundant. Where, as you've explored this yourself, have you realized that your psychology of money was actually holding you back? Many times. I I grew up with uh, immigrant parents. And um, my mom stayed home with us. My dad worked. And in many ways, they taught us some really valuable lessons about frugality. And I actually continue to honor a lot of those. Um, For example, my car is pretty old. I don't mind. It's fine. It runs great. Um, until re- really recently, I had an old computer. Again, it runs fine, not a big deal to me. But I also think there were some lessons that I grew out of. Um, for example, I remember one time we went to a gym and there were some people at the gym, employees sitting behind these glass walls. And I said you know, to my parents, who are those people? And the response was, oh, they're just here to take your money. And they were personal trainers. And so the concept there was that... Hmm. You should always try to get the lowest price. Why would you ever pay more? But now there's another quote that I think is extremely counterintuitive and insightful by Dan Kennedy. He says, 
Why pay less when you can pay more? Now, just think about that. Why pay less when you can pay more? For most people, that just does not register. What, what is this guy talking about? But I would challenge you to do this. Think of the thing that is really important to you. Is it diapers for your kid? Is it the type of food that you eat if you're health and wellness oriented? Is it the type of car you drive so you feel safe or secure or just luxurious because you want it? Each of us has something in our life that we want to pay more for. Mm. We want to. But when you grow up with only one note and that note is pay less, it's actually like a symphony that only has one instrument. And so in life and in a rich life, I think you need to have that frugality instrument you can play, but you also need to have the extravagance one and you need to have everything in between. And so when you build that beautiful symphony, suddenly it sounds like it should. That's what a rich life can be. I love that. What was something that your wife was holding on to when it came to her psychology that was holding her back? My wife would tell you that she was scarce with money. She would tell you that point blank. Uh, and we talked about it extensively because, um, you know, for me, I, I said, let's talk about what this can do for us, growth. And she, uh, you know, our conversations were missing each other, two, two ships in the night. And what was beneath, uh, from her perspective was, there's not going to be enough. What if we run out? All the things that can go wrong. And by the way, I totally get that. So right now my wife wants a dog. I have no interest in getting a dog. I don't want a dog at all. And so she goes, why not? And she says all the things that can go right. You know, it's cool and cute and we could go for walks and bring us together. I go, it's going to slobber. It's going to get hair all over my clothes. I'm focused on the things that can go wrong. Now, if my wife is listening, I still don't want a dog. Okay, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you right now. So I don't want a dog. But, but that shows you that we can approach the same thing in life. And one of us can focus on what goes right. And one of us can focus on what could go wrong. How have you, as, as partners for each other, in a safe way, helped each other see the limitation and actually begin a journey to overcoming it? Uh, it's, it's my favorite part of this entire journey that we've taken together. Let me tell you right now, it would have been easy for me to take over money in our relationship. Okay, this is what I do for a living. I know it like the back of my hand. It would have been easy. And I think for every couple listening to this, there's usually one person who's a little bit more experienced or stronger with finances. And often, it's just natural that that person ends up taking on a higher part of the load. But I told my wife from day one, I insisted that we do it together for a couple of reasons. I said, number one, I might not always be here. One day I might get hit by a truck. Who knows? I don't want you left out in the cold and being preyed on by the entire financial services industry. I want you to feel not just okay, but I want you to feel totally confident in how to manage money. And two, I want you to be a steward of this money along with me, right? We get to create this beautiful thing together it's actually way less fun if it's just me making a bunch of decisions over here. And I don't think that's a good partnership. So I say that because for everyone listening, it's pretty hard if you want to do it together. And so we went through the journey. A couple of things that we did that changed that journey. Number one was setting that intention up front. 
this is why we're going to go through this difficult thing. Because when we finally get through it, like going through rapids together, we're going to look back on that journey we took and it's going to be even more meaningful to us because we did it together. And then two, we started setting up some process. Um, I think with your partner, sometimes people a little weirded out by process. Not the people listening here because this is all about process. But there's this concept that everything should kind of just flow and be natural. and It should be romantic and things like that. Okay. I'm with you on that, but I also think we need a little process. So we started off by saying, you know, hey, should we talk about this once a month, once a week? Um, let's come up with a little agenda. And as we started to get into that, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But ultimately, we ended up where we talk, you know, we have a brief conversation about our expenses. We spend most of the time on possibility. What do we want mm. to do with this money? So I just want to recap. I heard set the intention, establish the process. And what was the third? Follow through, follow through, follow through and iterate, right? When we set the process, it was about 50% right. And we learned that, oh, okay, this is too frequent. This is infrequent. Things like that. Yeah. The thing that really landed with me was when you talked about how you guys focus on the possibility. I have personally made the mistake early on my journey of trying to get on the same page with money with my wife, I thought my role was to play accountability to the budget. (laughs) And shocker, when my wife said, I do, she did not say, I do to you being my accountability coach. (laughs) It's funny. People don't like being nagged by their own partner about what they spent on for eggs or whatever. Shocking. Yeah. And, And the moment the conversation started shifting about We're having this conversation so we can say yes to the things we purposely want to say yes to. Yeah. The whole dynamic shifts. Let's talk about that for a second because it's very counterintuitive. It sounds obvious when you say it, but think about this. If you're listening to this, realize that your partner has probably never genuinely been asked about their dreams. So have they ever actually been asked by you or anyone? What is your rich life? Oh, you, you like to travel? Tell me more. Why? Why there? Thailand? Why Thailand? Where did that come from? Oh, you saw a TV show? Which show? Oh, would, can we watch that together? I'd love to see and experience what you experienced. They have never been asked that. And when I said earlier that people love to talk about their money dial, the thing that they want to spend more money mm. on, you should see people's eyes light up when you ask them, tell me more. Tell me, oh, you, 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 like, you like sweaters or you like handbags? Do you know how many people feel that that is frivolous? But when they tell me that, oh, you know what? I know I probably shouldn't. It's, uh, it's kind of dumb, but I really love like luxury handbags. I say, amazing. Which brand? How come? What do you do with the handbags? Where do you take them? And their eyes are both bewildered and totally lit up because no one has ever asked him. So if you start from that perspective, which can take a long time, it's not one conversation, it's a series of them. Suddenly they're way, way, way more open to communicate. And the the expense part is a minor detail on the journey. I love it. I love it. It really is amazing how I'm just going to second what you said that nobody has asked them about their dreams. You know, the, the goal setting retreat that you and I have been chatting about one person's the goal setter. The other person usually is not. Yeah. And they're fearful because one, they're not a goal setter. Or two, 
what if our goals aren't the same? But that's not what it's about. Your dreams aren't supposed to be the same. It's about asking, what does extraordinary look like for you? Tell me more. Let me understand it vividly so that then we can actually say, great, this matters to you. Here's what matters to me. How do we support each other in making that happen? Love that. And what you just said also resonates with me, which is that oftentimes there's one goal setter and the other is not. It can be scary to set a goal. It can be scary because if you put it out there and don't achieve it, many people believe they've failed. But as you put it, that's not the point. The point is to start exercising this long lost muscle of dreaming. And the dream can be small. My first dream was to order appetizers. You know, I love it when somebody says, you know what, my dream is to be able to have one hour to myself in the morning. You know, maybe they have children. Great. Love it. How can you make that happen? Oh, I can't. You know, I got kids and this and that. Okay. Could you make it happen once per month? Uh, Maybe. How could you make it happen? Just exercising that muscle of dreaming, even small, and doing it once in a month, that can be enough for somebody to experience a feeling of accomplishment. We have to remember and have a lot of compassion that sometimes people have not felt that in years. Mm -hmm. So if we get that going, wow, it can be powerful. And if that's your partner and they start to feel, oh my gosh, I can accomplish a $10 thing. Now maybe they can start to dream about a $500 thing and a $1,000 thing. And soon it becomes not even about the money, but about the accomplishment. I love that. Ramit, what's one thing somebody who's listening this can do to start getting more on the same page about money with their significant other? I'm going to give them a fun exercise to do together. So when you ask your partner, you know, what's your rich life? The answers can be all over the board. Listen, probe, and then tell them, I heard this guy Ramit on this podcast and he issued a $100 challenge. The $100 challenge is this. In the next 48 hours, I want you to each spend $100 on something that you love. Now, here are the rules. It cannot be on kids, pets, or charity. You can't do it. It's got to be for you. And if you are extremely wealthy, you can adjust that number up to something that's more meaningful to you. Okay, I spoke to a couple who had a $8 million net worth on my podcast. I gave them the same challenge and their number was a little bit larger. But the point here is to start using money in a way that brings you joy, not makes you feel afraid. So start with that $100 challenge. And I'd love to hear from you, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, my email. I'd love to hear what you and your partner selected and how you experienced that journey. Love that. Well, where can people reach you, Ramit? You can find me uh, at IWT.com. I have a new podcast out called I Will Teach to Be Rich. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Ramit. That's R-A-M-I-T. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it. My conversation with New York Times bestselling author and host of the brand new podcast, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, Ramit Sethi. There are so many things that stand out to me from this conversation. I'm going to rattle off some of the 20% ideas that drove 80% of the value for me, at least. First was to become aware of 
where you are unconsciously or passively just spending money with no expectation of a return in terms of the value or happiness it brings you and asking the question, how might I get more purposeful? What are those 20% categories that if I gave myself permission to say yes to spending in those areas, it would bring the majority of the happiness? And how might I try it just once? I love his $100 challenge to be able to take 100 bucks or a number that you choose and to just go and say yes to an area that you know is going to bring value to you. Just try it once and see how it feels. The other thing that he shared that I really appreciated is that oftentimes our growth of money exceeds the growth of our psychology. If you could only get one thing from this episode, my hope is that you explore where do you have an abundant relationship with money? And where, when you hear certain things, do you feel scarcity? When you heard the idea of the $100 challenge, did you get excited? Or did you feel like, ooh, I can't do that? There's no right or wrong. The question is, how did you feel? And how might you explore where those feelings are serving you and where they might actually be imposing a ceiling over your achievement? If you would like to take this to the next level, Ramit talks so much about dreams, casting vivid dreams for what you want your life to look like and being able to line your money up with it. We will be facilitating this process at the One Thing Goal Setting Retreat for couples and individuals. It's the weekend of November 13th and 14th. We will have thousands of people from around the globe joining us from the comfort of their own home through the virtual general admission experience. And we will have a select group of people in person in Austin, Texas for the VIP experience. You can learn more about both by going to theonething.com slash setmygoals. That's with the number one in the URL, theonething.com slash setmygoals. We recorded a separate section with Ramit where he walked through the specific process he and his wife followed to get on the same page with money, some very specific things they had to do. And then he provided a framework for how you can actually start to hold a monthly finance review in a way that you actually look forward to it in a way that it feels good. You can do this with a significant other. You can also do this with yourself. That will all be included at the retreat. So head on over to theonething.com slash setmygoals. If you did enjoy this episode, make sure to check out Ramit's new podcast, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, and you can subscribe on any podcast player of choice. If this episode did bring value to you, please think of somebody you know who needs to hear it and share it with them. If you're new to the show, click the subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And if you would consider leaving us a rating and review, it would mean the world. It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.